Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 291, Play With Your Food. Presented by Ann Ratchet, Shevang Biswas, Brian Sperling, and Kristen Roberts. Seems we are live. Woo! Yay. Minor technical difficulties, thank you everyone for chilling out with us while we were adjusting. Um, welcome to Play With Your Food, where we're going to be talking about food and how it interacts with LARP for the next hour. Um, we're pretty excited about it, so we're happy to have you join along with us. Uh, so I think the best way to start off is like, who are we? Um, I'm Ann Ratchet. I am an experimental game designer, and I think that's all that's really relevant here is I make weird games. <laughs> Pronouns cheesy. I'm Sharon Biswas. I'm a game designer, artist, and writer. Uh, I have made a couple of uh, games about food, and I like cooking a lot, and I'm working on more games about food right now. Um, though some of them took a pause because of, you know, isolation. Um, yeah, and I use he pronouns. You're also missing the point that you are actively cooking while being uh, yes, on this panel. I am currently making a chicken stock while doing this panel, while my sister is also cooking a delicious Indian-style omelette for lunch for us. It is the most meta panel. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm Kristen Roberts. Uh, I'm a fictional food consultant, uh, and I write recipes and write recipes specifically for world building uh, as, as my quote-unquote day job. And I'm also a freelance writer and a longtime LARP storyteller. I'm Bronwyn Friesen, uh, they, them, or she, her. And uh, I, I make weird, weird games. And uh, I was also a chef for about 13 years, uh, migrating through industry, catering, and uh, doing some personal cooking as well uh, for uh, for people who had too much money that I could please. Um, and uh, and so yeah, I, uh, I I really like integrating food into games, whether it's uh, diegetic or non diegetic. So uh, yeah. Oh, uh, so today. Pronouns, by the way. So today we're going to be talking about LARP and the way that food interacts with that. Uh, for the purpose of our LARP scholars in the audience, we are not doing a very specific breakdown of different LARP categories. Primarily what we're going to be talking about is the difference between black box and what you see is what you get. Uh, what we're going to be talking about today is what you see or is what you get. This idea that everything in the game has a physical representation. Uh, the people who play the style tend to be highly costumed. Um, in order to fully embody their character. Uh, the special abilities that you use have a real representation within the game. And the parallel is black box, 
where everything exists in what is called a black box or a theoretical space where the environment around you is, we say there are trees over there, it's actually a convention wall, but there's trees over there on the side, there's a river flowing down and the two of us are having a conversation about the turnout of our estate. Um, the reason why we're gonna be talking about what you see is what you get is there is a tactile and physical relationship with food that you get that you can't theoretically represent and i'd like to talk about that for a little bit like what do we get out of play with actual food being cooked and or eaten during play that can't be represented in another form i mean for for what the first that comes to mind is that we actually if we have actual food present we actually conceive of it as food right because for example we have a lot of, uh, if we think of the video game tradition, right? There are a lot of games that involve eating uh, as a major thing. So the big thing I'm thinking of is Pac-Man, right? Pac-Man is a character who is entirely a mouth, right? Doesn't even have a digestive system to process the food. All you do is eat the food, right? But you don't think, uh, so the, this character is constantly eating and, and as a way to get points or whatever, but we don't conceive of it really as, as food. We conceive of this abstract concept of consumption, right? It takes on this, like, uh, I, not to like sound like a broken record, I talk about it a lot, but it takes on the capitalist structure of just consuming for consumption's sake and rather than eating. And I think having actual food present that engages the senses and things like that, we can actually conceive of the act of eating as actually you know, what is it we're eating? What is the, where does it come from? Flavors, all that. And rather than just let us consume. So I think that's one of the big things it does. I know for, for me, um, incorporating food, especially when we're talking about LARPing uh, specifically, is it grounds uh, my characters. And I think it grounds the setting when I'm, when I'm running the scene uh, in a way that allows people to to just like more embody their characters um it also gives them something to role play to react to um sometimes i think we we all get stuck um when we're role playing with one another it's like what's the next thing we talk about you, you know like what is the what's the next impetus and if you have food in front of you that is something physical tactile um, I always, whenever I bring food into a game um, as my NPCs, as my PCs, there's always a reason why I'm serving this specific thing, a story behind this specific recipe. And it engages people because they'll start coming up with their own stories about food and about their own character um, stories and their own cultures. And I just, I think it's a way to really make the world come to life in a way that everybody can talk about food. Everybody knows how to talk about these, these tastes and these flavors and these things that mean something to their childhood. So it kind of puts everybody on this nice, even playing field. Uh, I feel there's also something to be said for the act of eating together, whether the, the food itself matters or not, like sitting down to share a meal. There's a, uh, it, there's, there's a, a kind of uh, trust and connection that, that you build by sitting and eating together. Like there's a reason why it's so stereotypical for a first date to be sitting down for dinner or lunch together, right? Like there, 
uh, for one, it's 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 a it's a situation where you both have to spend some amount of time doing a thing together. There's like there's food in front of you, um, and to not make it awkward, you need to fill the air and connect with one another. And you know, I mean, family dinners they're the same kind of thing, although inevitably awkward. Um, and uh, so, like, yeah, that like when when introducing sharing food into gaming and and uh, LARP and uh, similar types of games. There's there's that actual act of eating together, act of sharing food and trusting one another with that with that um, that vulnerable space of of nourishment, right? Yeah, there's this uh, great quote um, that Matt Sayer wrote in his essay, Empathy is a Dish Best Served Digital in First Person Scholar. And he's talking about digital games, but I think it's relevant. He says, quote, when we break bread, we are sharing the potential for life, symbolically depriving ourselves for the sake of another. When we dine at a stranger's table, we put trust in their cooking. In these moments of mutual vulnerability, we are reminded that for all our differences at the most basic human level, we are one and the same, right? So I really like that what Bronwyn's saying there is that this act of dining together, of giving you my food, of you partaking in the meal with me, itself creates, um, uh, in, in this game sense, reinforces these cultural understandings that we have had since the dawn of humanity, right? Of cooking together, of eating together, of you partake in my food. Every culture has rules of food sharing and hospitality, right? And I think we can reinforce those, like, uh, like Kristen's saying, we can reinforce these cultural underpinnings of our fictional world or quasi-fictional world through this act of eating together, I think. That actually ties into my next question really well. Uh, which is like, so why do we even care about food? I'm going to cover the most basic, like we will die without it. And so like, that is already a reason why food is important is you literally need it to survive. But other than that very fundamental survival-esque relationship to it, like why do we care about food? So I think like the first thing oh, was like- sorry, kind of Sharon? Bronwyn is muted. <laughs> I'm so bad with that mute button, dude. Um, so yeah, um, food is important in that, like you know, it, because it's something very fundamental to us. Um, and, like we we need it to live. We all, some way or another, have have to uh, forge our relationship with with getting food, uh, making food, whatever it is, or, or, uh, or acquiring. And like, uh, people, there's a lot of people learn from their family, how to prepare food. There's, there's that, you know, that very stereotypical story of, I learned this from my grandmother because, you know, uh, the, the, the matriarch is the is historically in, uh, in, in very white societies is, uh, is the holder of all of the foods and probably in some others as well. Um, and, uh, and yeah, like I, uh, I learned almost everything I know about cooking by throwing myself into the fire in a Denny's kitchen when I was borderline homeless. And, uh, then I went back and after I knew the basics of cooking, I went back and, uh, visited with family and, and picked up recipes and te cooking techniques from them. And so 
when I when I cook, when I present food, whether it's in like a, it, there's the importance there is in in that that lineage of food, where where you got food from, how you how you came to, and that that that's important. Why we care about it in in life and in games, for that matter. Gonna make a comment like my mom was not a good cook. Like salt is optional type of cook growing up. Yep. Uh, like to this day, like she still tries to stick very closely to the recipes because that's how she's comfortable cooking. Um, but part of my relationship with food is I've been cooking since I've been four, and my brother and I say it's because of survival. Like you just, if you have the option of like making something that tastes better. Like, why wouldn't you do that? And it's interesting, like how that's reflected me as I get as more like more proficient in cooking as I get older. Um, because with my brother, he's like how to have the perfect dish like every time versus I appreciate the style of home cooking where it's not perfect. It's not the type of food you'd get it in a restaurant. It's about like just like comforting and good. I also think that's a difference in what is the definition of perfect, right? Like restaurant, I mean, probably, you know, uh, for a restaurant, perfect means presentation in a certain way and stuff like that, right? But at home, I could be like, this is perfect, but it looks like slop, right? Um, um, but the thing I always say, I think Bronwyn hinted at this earlier uh, when they commented about the uh, first date thing. For game purposes, uh, rituals around food, and by that I don't necessarily mean like religious rituals, I mean like the act of eating together, a family meal or first date, things like that. Rituals around food can be a great way, uh, like to use Christian words, to ground the story. Because if we're playing, especially in a world that is unfamiliar and new to us, so if we're playing a speculative game that's on another planet, that's under the earth, that's inside the belly of the kraken, whatever, and however, these human rituals of sharing a meal together are still familiar to us so we can draw on those as sites of, of, of drama and action like oh uh, i have never been trapped inside the belly of a kraken but I, I have been on first dates before so what if we're having a first date inside the belly of this kraken that is something familiar that me as a human can draw on and that can then inform uh the rest of our play and game i think anne has vanished but i'm sure she will uh, reappear uh there you go um uh so we can so these rituals of food these sites of food preparation and uh i don't want to say consumption because i just used that word a different way before these sites of food preparation and savoring let's say um become familiar places where our characters can engage with each other uh, and engage with the, the story and themes of the game we're playing. Uh, and really just to build off what everyone else is saying, I think another important thing as to why foods is important is that it it is a signal in your world building to a lot of other layers uh, to what you're trying to present to your players uh, in terms of is scarce that is scarcity an issue in this world? Is opulent food eating um, normal in this world? What kinds of grains are available? What kinds of um, fruits and vegetables are available? Is it a variety? Is it like one or two like specific things? There's so many different ways you can um, incorporate not just food itself, 
but details about its components and how it is either revered or neglected, um, even at different levels. As if you, one of my favorite examples is you can have two characters from two very different social um, strata, and how each of them approach food and eating and a meal can be have so many layers and tell you so much more about this uh, macrocosm that you're trying to uh, create and bring to life. Can I read out another example, Anne, or is that too much? Go for it. Uh, so this is a, an example of what Kristen is saying. This is from John Harper's Blades in the Dark, um, which is not a LARP, but it is adjacent, right? So, quote, the bulk of cheap food in the city of Duskwall is eel and mushroom pie. Eel are famously resistant to taking on some of the foul accretions of the canals and the sea, and they're easy to trap. The consistency is not fabulous, and the incautious cook risks losing a finger to an ill-tempered bite, but the eels have a lot of meat on them, and there are many ways to prepare it, right? So when you're prepping to run a game, given the description that it's hard to catch eel, uh, and you might hurt yourself, but there's a lot of meat on it, right? That automatically tells you a little bit, like what Christian's saying, about the social class of the people who are depending on this eel, which is the bulk of the food, right? And I think that's a really good um, way. Imagine doing that not just with text, but with the food in front of you in a live action game, right? I think that could be uh, really powerful in signaling lots of things. And stepping back a little bit, uh, I just want to talk about the social implications about the banality of eating. Um, with one of the things I'm seeing a lot in like quarantine and stuff like that is people are seeing a dearth of social interaction. And partially that's related to the fact that they can't go out and eat with people because that was so much of our society, like the modern society that we live in is we have to eat anyway. So let's take these actions to make it more enjoyable. Um, and so beyond like our personal relationship with food, there's this interpersonal relationship with food, with the fact of like, we're actively building a larger scope of how to interact with it. Um, and I, I just keep on thinking like the difference of like, are we going to go to a diner for dinner versus are we going to go somewhere for tapas? And like that's kind of touching again into social class a little bit. Um, but it also like that kind of interaction is going to define like the kind of conversation you're going to be having around the food as well. Cause like, I'm thinking back to like Metatopia in general, like in-person Metatopia and almost everybody at the con is familiar with that midnight diner run. Like, it's not gonna be like, you're going with friends, it's very basic, the food isn't fancy. And yet it like, it builds a sense of camaraderie because we're going to like do this expedition into the dark for this vital nutrition. And isn't there a whole like hidden pie. subculture of the volunteers when they prepare food together and chop vegetables together? Like, I, I, I've never really volunteered, but I know some people who have, and they have this whole, like, we're prepping food in the con suite now. It's like a whole, like, thing around that. So I think we're ready to transition into the bulk of the conversation is, like, now that we've talked about like why we care about food, how do we transform that into mechanics?
Um, so one thing when I when I when I do um, any game that has oh, any that's a weird way of phrasing it. When I think most of the time when I design games, I think about well, what are the verbs of this game, right? And so, uh, and what could the verbs represent? What do we want the verbs to represent? Or what verbs do we need to get what we want to represent, right? And so, if if our aim in the beginning is um, Oh, I want to make a game that engages with food. Let's say that that is your aim as a game designer. Then the first thing I might suggest is, okay, well, what verbs are associated with this, right? We've talked a little bit already about like sharing food together at a ritual in a ritual way, like a date or whatever, right? There are lots of other things that can be like looking for food. What does the act of scavenging for food mean? Um, there's preparing food. There, there's both the like pre-preparation like chopping veggies but there's also like um uh, the actual heat-based cooking things like that so i would look at that first like what do the different verbs involved in food um from cooking to storing to scavenging to throwing away because it's disgusting and inedible to vomiting i don't know um what do the different verbs what can they do for you in your design i think that could be a great first step find that really interesting because I usually design with food from a more emotional stance like what does it mean to me instead of the logical like what does this like physically like, with thinking about verbs like that to me you're looking at a logical lens of like theoreticals versus like part of the reason why I want to talk about this so much is I've ended up writing three food games over the course of quarantine and like no one needs to write that many food games but they all just kind of happened um and in each one like the actual interaction with food shifted so much because it was representative of like a larger environment like the food is food but also it's not food um but also it's literally food because you're playing witches at a bar trying to figure out which one of you is an imposter like stuff like that i mean sorry i'm literally having lunch now um when i designed feast um my i i worked in the way that i'm i'm like i was for a contest like i'll make a game i'll do something interesting i'll make a game about eating and my thing, okay, if you're a game about eating, what does eating represent? I'm like, okay, it represents consumption of a sort. And so I made a game about, right, aliens eating your brain or eating your memories and things, right? So I think, and obviously, like, the, the question to a game, to, to any kind of artist about how do you make your art ends up being an exercise in futility because A, different artists have different ways of working and you as an artist will have different ways of working and B, different artists work in different ways depending on the project they're working on, right? So some games, I might think of this verb forward way. When I made Verger, for example, I was like, oh, I have this idea of a game about witchcraft, blah, 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 right? And for some reason, I think, Anya, right, games about food and witchcraft tend to, like, go together because we all have this image of, like, cauldron steaming and weird ingredients and stuff, right? Um, so, yeah, I think the different approaches of, uh, those are different approaches of, of doing this, right? You can think about, like, the aesthetic first, to use the, like, formalist language, or the mechanic first, right? And I think both 
will be equally valid depending on you as the designer's like style and intent. So I don't want to hog the conversation. I could say more, but I want to give other people the chance. Well, yeah. Well, so when uh, when when putting food into a game into a game, I feel you have covered this to some degree. Is is yeah? I think about like what role do I need it to play in this game? Um, what what am I what am I saying with food? What am I what am I saying by having people engaging with food? Um, like. Uh, this one game that's largely a largely a metatopia type joke, uh, where the idea of my game was to give people uh, the playtesters a basket of, uh, of of various picnic items, including cold veggie dogs and a candle and no match, and uh, and and just telling them this is the game. These are the instructions. This this basket and the things in it are the instructions of the game, and I trust that you can figure it out from here. And uh, and that like having food in that basket was very central to me uh, as for this for this very Metatopia joke game because it it gives the people something to focus on. Um, oh yeah, and it was titled "The Fall of the Crimson Tower," so it was especially surreal. Um, <laughs> so. Um, it's it's like is this our last meal together as 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 we fall are we are we sieging and uh, and like we're we're this is our this is our dinner before we uh before we take the tower is like and uh it's it's like food as 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 like a an, an imagination spur i've um like in my experience one thing i've really i've really loved to see food used mechanically is actually in conjunction with and speaking more like like in skills of the game. So I, I know there was um, one game that I played that there was actually like a skill that certain people could have where as for as long as you had food in front of you at a shared table, no one could take violent actions against one another. So it's like you, you would create this, this like, for lack of a better term, sacred space, right? where as long as everyone is sharing food, as long as the person that you have this maybe animosity or, or like there's some kind of war or something going on, as long as you're sharing food at that table, no one can take an offensive action of any kind. And I really always loved that um, as a way to mechanically create that that etiquette that we see in a lot of cultures that you know, if, if I share food with you or if I invite you into my home, you don't commit, you know, any kind of action against each other. That is um, the rules of hospitality and that sort of thing. And I love mechanics that help enforce cultural norms because then it's not really a mechanic, right? It's more just, um, it's letting your players know, well, this is the world that we're in and this is how we're going to function uh, and brings everybody on that same page. I think uh, that's cool because, um, so, so I think we've talked about, three separate things so far, right? We've talked about food as a game mechanic that achieves some sort of tone. We've talked about, uh, so we talked about, you know, in Feast, you eat to, like, uh, eat the memory of a people. We've talked about, uh, and, the, like, as long as there's food in front of you, don't fight. Uh, we've talked about food as a site for narrative. You know, we're going on this date, we have this food, probably going to chat. Um, we've talked about 
food to convey world meaning. Uh, there's also uh, using food to convey um, tone that's not as specific as what Kristen just said. So the big example I use for that is um, my first, um, not Metatopia, it was the one in, in winter, um, the the other double exposure car in winter, the name. Right now. What was that? Dreamation. Dreamation, yes, thank you. It was at Dreamation, and I was playing a game of Golden Sky Stories. Uh, and the whole game of Golden Sky Stories is about, like, you are Japanese shape-shifting animals helping the village around you, right? It's not a game about fighting. Uh, the problems you encounter are like, oh, no, Mayuka's dress for the festival has been ripped. How can we get her something nice? Or it's raining. How will we have a firework? Those are all your problems, right? But it was the first time I playing the game, and the GM for that game, of the GM tabletop game, uh, first started while he was introducing the game. He opened a tin of homemade jam cookies, right? <laughs> that was the first thing we did. Right? We ate these jam cookies together. And that wasn't explicit to the setting. It was actually not the setting. The setting is in Japan, and we were making like mochi and things according to the rules of the game. But the this like tone of like loveliness and like home cook and like you know that the uh, somewhat indescribable tone was conveyed through the food that we ate at the start and i think that was a very clever and unusual use of food uh, in a in a game i really i really love that and i know there's some i've had moments in in a lot of games where just something like that that sets the tone even from even stepping outside from like a um storyteller with my players i love that idea of reminding everyone no matter what setting we're in like we're in this in a collaborative game together and so sharing food and drink and like just making sure everyone's hydrated from like an out of game standpoint um brings everybody that that right um frame of mind that we're we're here to tell a story together we're here to create a community with each other maybe in the game maybe out of the game as well and it bridges that gap between in and out of game that's in a really good way like in a very positive way. i mean there is a tradition of beer and chips over role-playing game night right I, which i don't partake i don't like beer but, um right that's a thing for a reason because people like snacking while doing this thing right beer and pretzels role-playing <laughs> Yeah. Um I uh I like from the from the how do we integrate it into the game uh thing. Uh, I I keep coming back to this game by Jackson Tegu, Mashed Potato Mountains, Pea Soup Seas, which is like a world building exercise. Everybody brings a food to the table. And uh it's the idea is that you're a bunch of travelers who are meeting around a fire and you've all brought a, a piece of your homeland. Your homeland is made of food. Everyone's homeland is made of food. And so you've brought a piece of your homeland with you because this is the food you carry with you, a piece of your homeland to remember home. And, uh, and you, all, you all share with one another and through the act of sharing, determine what, your, what, your, uh, the, what cult, kind of culture you come from, what, the, what it's like, and you determine this based on the, the textures and the flavors that you're experiencing in the food. And uh, that's... That's just such a really cool thing is the is the coming together to to share yourself and and this some this thing so deep and core to you. That idea of the world is made of food is interesting because at some level our world is made of food, right? We don't synthesize food out of nothing. 
actually pluck it off of trees and things. It's just, it's funny when I'm thinking about like, is the world made of food? In some sense, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's just off of that, off the cuff, it's a little off topic, but like that's when, when I do my um, fictional food consulting with people, one of the, one of the first things that I talk about is, all right, What's our environment? Because that's going to tell us what grain grows there. And that's going to be your foundation for the rest of your food that's going on. Even if it's made up grain, that's going to like feed into everything else that we do here. And I think that's, that's a good point because when that's off a little bit, we all feel weird. Like, like everyone feels weird about Pokemon, right? Where like, what do the Pokemon trainers oh, eat? Like everyone asks the question, what are they eating? And then someone once said, oh, it's somewhere it's, it's canon that they actually eat other Pokemon. And I'm like, what? And everyone finds it unsettling. Uh... So, so that Christian idea, if you haven't thought of well enough, if, 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 you, if, if like in the world of Pokemon, if every plant and animal is sentient, what is food, right? Um, <laughs> I have a really good question. I think uh, questions of how, I think that's a great world building start even as well if you're like okay i want to build a different kind of world i don't know where to start uh or i want to build a different kind of culture i don't know where to start i think Kristen's uh, idea is of, of using the start the environment and the food like how does this culture eat what do they eat how do they prep how do they um uh, gather food is a great way to um to begin i think also like it tells you so much about the technological advancement of whatever that community is because uh if you look at the entire world of like Earth, um, we talk about like, oh, technological advancement happened here in this country at this time. But really what happened is there's a lot of parallel development happening across the world. Oh no. Oh, oh. oh no, in the middle of a sentence. Parallel development across the world. Oh, there you go. I, I am so sorry. Discord does not like me today. That's just uh, Yeah. And so when we look at what we consider in some places primitive cultures, um, I'm thinking of specifically there's one island nation that never had a Bronze Age when like theoretically there should have been a Bronze Age. And what it came down to is it was a very rocky and mountainous light area. The soil is very tough. And so when it came to the crops that they were growing, when it came to the type of environment that they were in, there was no reason to advance like that because it wouldn't work. It served no purpose. So they kept with primitive technology because the primitive stuff happened to be the most efficient and the most advanced that they could do to serve the society. And then when like the rest of the world came crashing in with exploration and stuff like that, like they were using still wooden tools and the like in order to pull out their tubers because and like even to this day, like it's what they use because it's what works. Um, and it's one of those things like I think about that type of stuff and I'm like, it, that's a comment on technology, but really it's a comment about food. Yeah, and like, like, for example, like, so like, you know, salt licks, right, is an interesting part of animal behavior that we don't often get to witness, because there's this vital nutrient that you need to access. 
Uh, and so we can think about uh, world building and stories. We can be like, okay, what if salt is scarce? Like, how would you access it? And what technology would this culture have developed to access it? Or, okay, we're in a flying world and the only source of high-grade protein are dragons, right? Okay, well, a lot of technology has to then develop to, like, hunt dragon. you know? So I think that that's interesting. You, you, we have developed... Like one can argue that fire became a thing because of who no one knows this, right? There's no evidence for this, but you can think about oh, maybe the use of fire became a thing because of food preparation, or or the other way around where fire. I mean, oh. Michael Pollan talks about in his book a lot, right? Where um, where uh, we cooked food and now we have evolved to not really survive unless meat is cooked well, right? And then uh, talking Michael Pollan, this idea of technology. Michael Pollan has this quote in 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 Cooked, which is. Quote, among all the many other things we eat, we also eat ideas, right? Um, and I love that quote because it, it, it isn't explicit in the textual sense, but it makes me think about food drives ideas and food drives our creation and consumption of other kinds of ideas. So, Well, I would and like to, like, I'm sorry? Oh, I was just going to say, because I cut out for a second, like, I wanted to... Yeah also add in to you don't have to start with those ideas when you're world building because sometimes you're coming from an angle if food is not your concept where you're like well I want to deal with this issue of scarcity and you can work backwards as well just as much as you can work from the ground up you can take this concept or this modern idea that you want to play with and kind of look at it going backwards as well one of the questions we had One of the uh, comments we had in chat was, uh, can we speak a little bit about the biases or privilege many of us may not recognize when writing food and food culture into our games? And like, I've been thinking a lot about this question because it's really loaded. Um, and like, I want to, talk about this, but I don't think that there's a good catch-all for this other than hire a consultant because, like, <laughs> I, I'm just thinking about, like, my relationship with food. Like, almost every single one of my food games reflects on the fact that I'm Jewish and that's my food culture is this idea that food develops out of a sense of scarcity, like, you're doing the most with what you have and you're going forward with that. Um, Food is a way that we connect with other people. Um, it's a way to like, it's part of our oral heritage. Um, like, I, it's also one of the things like, one of my games is about alcohol and our relation, like the way alcohol can have an effect on how we interact with other people. And again, that's due to my Jewish relationship with alcohol where I grew up with alcohol is used to sanctify time. You don't drink to get drunk. You enjoy what it has and the fermented flavors presented. Um, and you have that be an experiential element as part of like really enjoying the philosophical conversation you're having with another. And like I, I, I don't know how to remove that from when I'm writing about food because it's how I understand food. Um, 
And I think you can hear like there's just so many layers of bias there that if I wanted to write about somebody else's culture, like I don't think I can unwrite it because we keep on talking about how food is so fundamental to each one of our personal identities. I feel like I can I can talk to that a little bit because it's actually something I incorporate in my consulting a lot. Um, food and when you're creating food, it's one of the things I've seen uh, a lot of world builders and game designers, either you can do it well or more often than not, people do it really poorly uh, in that they are constantly just relying on analog. Um, and this is specifically thinking about um, when you're creating like a fantasy world or a futuristic sci-fi world, these kinds of things. They'll they'll immediately go to, well, it's it's kind of like got an Asian cuisine style because they use a lot of noodles. But, you know, we're going to incorporate these Middle Eastern spices and all they know how to do is couch ingredients in culture. And there's a reason for that. It's because these cultures are in areas where these certain things grow or have been imported at this point or another. And there's all these really complex foodways throughout the world that these things have gotten to different places and are incorporated. Religious taboos, cultural taboos, um, levels of, of society. Like these things are so specific to a location. So what I, what I try to do when I'm consulting um, is to talk to people about um, trying to divorce from a specific culture and to think about the ingredients and where things are grown, which is one area, you know, you think about agriculture and you think about what can be sustained. And I think that's one way you can start to divorce um, cultural bias from food. That being said, there's always going to be our own personal relationship and our own personal bias. Um, to uh, all these things we eat, to what's available in our culture. And so I implore anybody who wants to be, if you want to have, say, a strong Middle Eastern analog um, culture, that you want to create that, or even if you're working in the Middle East and you want to use these Arabic characters and cultures, get a consultant for that. Like, I, I even as a consultant for, like, food and I have a background in religious studies so religion and culture and ritual if you're if you're not inventing something new I can tell you how to avoid the pitfalls but if you want to work in a specific culture in a specific area whether it's food whether it's religion whether it's just social norms get yourself a consultant who knows these things um, because you need somebody who is is immersed in that and who knows what they're talking about um, to help you create a world that is diverse, is interesting. And while you'll never be divorced of your own bias, um, we, we write the games we write because it, we want to write them, right? Like they're, they're coming from us. You can at least try to be as, as approachable, non-appropriative um, as you can be. And, uh, and from a very different angle, I think, when we're thinking of uh, what we started with earlier, a uh, live action game which have food there, something that is important to think about is what can people eat, right? Because you might be like, oh, we're doing this game, uh, you're gonna have noodles because of whatever, whatever reason. And some people might be like, I cannot eat wheat, right? Like I can't eat pasta, that, that will kill me, right? So when, when there's one thing saying, it's one thing to say this food is really important in this game, 
them for this specific reason. But it's another thing to be like, oh, but not everyone can eat this food. So what are they going to eat, right? And I think, mm-hmm. uh, and that's not that, that's really you have to be conscious about. That's something you should. If uh, if you have, if it's a large game, you don't know all the people coming. Obviously, if you know everyone coming, you can you know do your own thing. But you should ask them what can you eat, what can you not eat, and also not just what can you eat, but what will you eat, right? Because yeah. Um, and because you know, a lot, we're going to these games uh, from uh, at some level artistic slash entertainment perspective, right? We're going there to enjoy ourselves, even if it's you know a depressing game. We're still get, gaining artistic enjoyment from it. We, it, it's sad if it's tempered by the fact that oh, all you can eat. Like I did not grow up in a culture where where there was a sugary food was common. So the idea of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch is disgusting to me. I'm like, why would I eat so much sugar for a meal? Right, um, and so when I was at LARP, and uh, for cost reasons, uh, there was only PB and J. I was very happy that I was made aware of this early on. Right, they said, "By the way, this is what we're gonna give people to eat for lunch." I'm like, "Great! I will make provision to get some of my own other things, so I'm not just eating sugar for lunch." Right, um, and so um, making people aware of that uh, and talking about bias. Right, a lot of people be like, "That's weird. Everyone likes PB and J." No. Right, um, and especially the, the pee part because a lot of people are allergic to peanuts, right? Um, so just being aware of what if, if you're prepping food at a game or having prepped food at a game, make sure that you are accommodating. And, and the easiest way to do that is just ask your participants, you don't have to assume, like, oh, I must make sure every contingency, no, no, just ask your participants. Is there something you can or cannot eat? Let me know. And then I will make, um, because, you know, some people are like, I have a friend who's allergic to uncooked vegetable, right? So he cannot eat salad. He cannot digest the the cellulose or something, right? So don't assume, Mm -hmm. just ask. And just Um, off of that, from a a catering perspective, I always, when I've catered games, because I've, taken jobs where I've catered games before, I always make sure I do that outreach and I publish my recipe because you can't eat it, then maybe you need to bring something else. Or if I can make it gluten-free, I will, you you know, and I can talk to you and figure it out. So I'd like to bring one last question to the table. Um, We're running a little bit on time, so everyone keep that in mind while answering this. Um, We mentioned earlier in games that cooking and uh, verbs are active in food preparation. Um, Can we talk a little bit about what the actual preparation of food brings to a game, if that's included? I can start. I feel like I'm answering a lot by starting, so. Okay, I'll start. Um, Um, yeah. When I was in undergrad, uh, there was a, a campus-wide game of humans versus zombies going on, which some of you might remember from when you were in college. But it's a big, it's a big um, game where like half the campus becomes zombies and chase the other half around. It's like pervasive. It's played over like a week. It's like a wild sort of time, right? Um, so it's not really a lot, but it has you know these live action elements. But one thing that the game designers at my at my college did was they kept making these missions that would force the players to not just be holed up inside their room and never venture into the game. And one of the missions, uh, I was the NPC for the mission because I couldn't be bothered to play it. Um, uh, I was an engineering major. I couldn't be bothered to do a lot of things. Um, One of the things that we did was uh, there was a mission where the 
zombies had to scavenge vegetables that they'd hidden around in the snow in you know New Hampshire uh and get these like vegetables bring it and then cook it and feed it to me i was like the special zombie that i needed to the special stew to like be able to reveal the secrets that i knew because i was like dying or something it was obviously that the the story that was silly it's not a game about story but something that really that really fun that happened was uh that there came a contingent that just clustered in the kitchen and started like me and the idea initially was oh they're just going to fling the like cut the carrot in two throw it in the pot and I'll just take a sip of the water it's in right but no right these folks came together in the kitchen like, okay you got carrot great, great okay do we have any spices do we have any spices and they like made this rather tasty like vegetable soup but then they fed me and I'm like oh my god this I can actually have a bowl of this not just a spoon and it was really cool because this act of cooking brought these like zombie players together and uh, not all of them knew each other right so it's, it's a campus wide game brought them together into this shared activity where one person was acting as like the head chef giving orders uh, and it 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 also changed the game for them for a bit rather than oh we spend our whole time chasing people to to zombify them it's like oh now we're cooking Uh, and it was like really <laughs> so, so cooking together can be another act that makes you come together so that was a long long thing sorry and so for me one of my games is called stone soup and it's about uh the cooking and uh food culture that comes out of um Sorry, I just reading chat very quickly. So, one of the things about the game itself is it's talking about food culture that develops in uh specifically food insecurity. So, it's not lack of food, but just not knowing when you're going to get other stuff. Um and I just think that's important because like personally, I have never dealt with food scarcity problems. but at this point like most people in quarantine understand food insecurity because we did have that scare in america and i don't know if that happened elsewhere in the world um and i'm really fascinated that like if you look historically at a lot of places that have this idea of like either food scarcity or food insecurity you have these like fantastic dishes that stem out of them or you have like almost no cold food culture that develops like food is purely survival and has no culture related to that and i wanted a game that explored that relationship and you have to like you can't remove the cooking of food in that point if we're talking about food culture like the cooking and what we do with the food and how much energy we're willing to invest in making a good product like tells us a lot about who we are and the community that we live in um And so in that way cooking is significant because it's like as we say food is representative of other things how we cook with those things is representative of other things. <laughs> I mean just on, on top of that I mean the the resources used to cook are so important right like there are there are certain foods that have become a uh, staple for different cultures in different areas that if you eat and they're not prepared that specific way can even be poisonous. So like like uh, just, that is that is wine but even just uh I mean there's a number Saba. of different 
Cassava's Cassava is my favorite. Like if you don't explicitly drain it out for three days plus, the liquid is poisonous, but the actual flesh of it is the foundation of an entire branch of cooking. Exactly. So I, and I just have to rail against one thing you said, Anne, because I don't think it's what you meant, but you said even in um, places where food is dis disconnected from culture. And I don't think yeah. there is any place that food is disconnected from culture. Because even if food becomes a sustenance only thing, that itself is culture to me. You know what I mean? No, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And then like the there's also like the, the like any verbs you can you can imbue any kind of action with meaning, right? So I made a whole game about prepping salad, right? Verger was showing a couple of galleries and stuff, like they have to literally transport leaves to the gallery space for people to chop. Um, where I try and use uh, the different acts that you're doing to the food, like chopping greens, uh, pouring the oil. I try and imbue each of those, the meaning, engage, interacting with the text that you're reading and the text that you're in, enunciating. Uh, you can also use the various acts of cooking for their symbolic uh, meaning, um, very focused on your game itself. That is exactly what I was about to bring up. Yeah, good, good, perfect. That's such a beautiful game for that. So with that, we are pretty much out of time. So let's give everyone an opportunity to say where we can find you online. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm just on Facebook. Um, I think I have an itch account uh, for La Petite Mort. Um, that's L-A-P-E-T-I-T-E-M-O-R-T. I think it's on itch. I'm pretty sure I published that page. Um, <laughs> But otherwise, I'm just on Facebook as uh, Bronwyn Sperling, and uh, that I use that for uh, connecting with industry as well as personal stuff and ranting about politics. So, buyer beware. Uh, you can find me. I have a blog where I produce recipes, um, feastintime.com. Time is in the herb. I'll drop that link in the chat. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and anywhere else I can make a social media profile, but Facebook and Instagram are the two I'm most on. Again, at Feast in Time, T-H-Y-M-E, uh, in all these places. Uh, and I'm Sharon Biswas. I'm very active on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Sharon Biswas, which is the whole name. You can check it out in the panel notes and things. Um, and uh, that links to my website. Itch is Astrolingus. So if you search Charangoswas, Itch, you'll probably find me well. Um, but I do want to give a quick uh, shout out to uh, currently running a Kickstarter with a group of really awesome folks, Strange Lust, Strange Logy of Interaction about human sexuality. Um, do check that out and support it if you can. It's made by like an all queer team. Uh, we're trying to like uplift as part of our mission for this. So uh, out. last line because you got cut off i think it might still be happening oh no uh oh well before we let him say his last bit uh you can find me on twitter as uh under slash m n g w a under slash he is now realizing that the technology is not quite working.
working. Uh oh. But yes. Um. Yeah. Is it going to reconnect, Sharon? Okay, I can hear people. Yay! Everything that just happened. We mostly missed your last line. No, is it happening oh, again? Oh God! Oh. Loves, and it's awesome. Oh, am I frozen again? Oh my God! This is this is terrible. The moment I'm talking about my Kickstarter, love it. Um, <laughs> can you hear me now? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So my last thing is check out my Kickstarter. It's called Strange Love, Strange Love. It's really cool and queer and supporting marginalized designers. That's it because I don't want to risk missing everything else. <laughs> So yeah. thank you everyone for tuning in. Um, we're gonna bow out and see you on the con. Uh, you can join us in the watch party where quite a few of us will be available to continue conversation.